And my husband turned around, looked me in the eyes really tenderly and just like full of love and said, babe, I'd really like us to have a baby. Hi, I'm Anna Olson, and you're listening to We're Not Kidding, a podcast devoted to sharing stories surrounding the child-free life. As a life coach, I'm passionate about helping women feel confident and empowered in their choice not to have children. And I believe that by sharing our stories, we help break the stigma. So let's dive in. I got to sit down with the lovely Jennifer Flint and record a two-part episode series for the podcast. The first episode, which follows, is focused on Jennifer Flint's her own child-free journey. And the second episode, which will air next week, is about her new novel, Wild Egg, which is a fabulous read all about one woman's child-free journey. With that, I give you part one. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm so excited for today's guest. I know I say that every time, but I'm really excited today. Today, we are speaking with the lovely Jennifer Flint. She is a leadership coach, mentor, independent celebrant, a speaker, and now an author. She lives in the Northeast of England. And you guys, I'm so excited. If you don't know her already, she has just written an incredible novel called Wild Egg. And I will let her tell us all about it. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for being here. This is a true honor to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Anna. It's an absolute honor to be here and to connect with you again. Thank you. Mm, Yes, my pleasure. So would you start by telling us all a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yes. And thank you for that lovely introduction. I'm 50 now. Um, And I spent a long time, most of my career in um, working in HR. So I ended up latterly as a people director in the not-for-profit sector. I think I've always probably been a storyteller pretending to be an HR director. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I had a great job. It was a, you know, it was a um, very responsible job. I had several teams that reported into me. But I think for a long, long time in my life, I've had this very strong feeling that I wasn't quite where I was supposed to be. And I'd always wanted to be a writer since um, since I was about 21. I'd, I'd really had this passion to write a book. My dad was also a, a person who was pretending to be um, something that he wasn't. So he was worked as a civil servant, but always really wanted to be a writer. So I kind of felt like there was a pattern happening in the family. Yeah, I'd been trying for about 20 years to write a book. I had been in the saddle and I'd fallen off the saddle with terrible imposter syndrome. Then I got back on, then I fell off the horse again. And that process had been going on for a long time. And I think eventually I got to the point where I thought to myself, I really want to try again because I'll never forgive myself (laughs) and I'll never be at peace in my soul if I don't write this book, which wasn't Wild Egg. I thought I was writing an entirely different book. And so eventually I, I had a moment of absolute what would you call it? Just a moment of truth in um, the spring of 2019, where I had a vision of telling my chief executive that I just didn't want to do this job anymore. Thank you so much for the opportunity, but my heart is not in this job anymore. It was like watching a movie of something that had already happened. 
So mm. I duly went into work the following day and I did exactly that, which oh, was wow. kind of terrifying because I had no plan. I had no savings. I just had this powerful feeling that I have to do this. Like my soul was just calling me to do it. So I did that very, very fortunately for me. And it's a very classic example, I think, of that, you know, adage that when you take a leap, the net appears. Um, And very luckily for me, this led to a a conversation which resulted in me going part time for two years with the same organisation, doing work that I actually really loved, which was really deep personal development work so I started to be able to do the leadership and coaching work that I really wanted to do and also that was part-time so it gave me a couple of days a week to finally write my book I was ready to go and get myself back in the saddle early in 2020 just before lockdown happened (laughs) so yeah that's a bit of context about kind of what I was doing and my career I actually left completely corporate life um at the back end of last year just at the point where I had finished my draft manuscript so yeah I'm kind of surrendering to what happens next but I feel as I said to someone the other day I feel like I've had a dripping tap in my psyche (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know about 20 odd years and finally somebody's turned it off oh, um, wow. since I've finished writing this book I feel at peace probably for the first time in my life I have to say like oh thank you <laughs> wow um, yeah oh so. I'm struck by how in what you shared it sounds like when you took the leap in the sense of trusting yourself Mm. to go in and quit the job. And then it turned into something that was more suited for what you wanted and, and just how this all opened up for you. Yes, absolutely. I think part of the work that I always did love was the personal development you know I would probably say I'm a bit of a personal development geek (laughs) Uh, so I've done a huge amount it was my passion as much as it was my job but I think I'd reached that point like I think happens a lot of times when you become successful I remember saying to a friend at one point I feel like I've climbed much higher up the corporate ladder than I ever expected to and I'm sort of impaled on the top and I can't get off I don't know how to get off it Um, and I think I'd ended up moving further and further away from the work that I love so I was doing a lot of you know acquisitions and merger type work a lot of more you know talking to trade unions I was doing lots of strategic stuff but it wasn't filling my soul because I felt like I wasn't working with people and helping people to develop and transform and I I just felt like I'd lost touch with that work that really lit me up so yeah it was it was wonderful when that happened and I think I think which I know we're going to go on and talk about, the fact that I'd said no to motherhood and I knew after the journey that I went on to get to that decision, it was such a wholehearted choice and such a powerful hell no in my body. (laughs) Um, I think I knew what truth felt like to me as a result of that process. So when I had this moment of I'm in the wrong job. And I literally had in my body, I cannot go another day doing this job. I just can't cope with it. And I think because I'd felt the truth of a hell no from the process of saying, no, thank you to motherhood. When it came again for my career, 
I think that it gave me the courage to do it because I, I'd never ever regretted closing the door of motherhood and I thought okay I know this feeling and I trust this feeling so Geronimo <laughs> um, wow oh yeah. Yeah. I got goosebumps that is really <laughs> cool and I just know even in my own experience that when I said no concretely to motherhood I felt the most myself I'd ever felt. And it did yeah. make other aspects of life so much easier and so much more concrete in a way and easier to set mm. boundaries, easier to do all mm. these things. It was sort of a tipping point for me. And it's oh, cool to yeah. hear someone else express how powerful that decision was in other aspects of their life too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think my personal experience, and I do talk about this a lot with a lot of women that I've coached and you know that I work with in many different ways through the work that I do and the celebrant work to some extent I think saying no is it's difficult to say a powerful no because I think we're very programmed to say yes maybe especially as women I feel that certainly so I think there's something empowering and catalytic and activating about an absolutely unequivocal no and I certainly have found that as you've absolutely said Anna that the the reverberations of that no it felt like banging my staff it was such a powerful no it's reverberated through so many aspects of my life since that moment and it was without doubt the first time that I'd said an, a clear no in that sense power a powerful no um mm. so absolutely I resonate with that very much oh wow yeah and would you be willing to share any aspects of what your personal journey to that no was like for you sure absolutely and I, what I will say is that the part one of wild egg so wild egg is in three parts and the part one is called ending the story of the mind <laughs> And yes. I would say part one is quite close to my personal journey. It's not exactly what I'm, but it's close. And then Wild Egg kind of diverges off of it. So, yeah, my journey was that ever since I could remember, I was always ambivalent about children. And, you know, I was in a quite a common situation where my two younger siblings had children, you know, almost all my friends had children. And I found myself at a point where that was just normal. I was used to being the odd one out, the awkward one, the child-free woman, although I'd never really had even that terminology because I'm going back now to sort of 2013 when it became a prominent issue for me. So it had been something I had kicked into the long grass over and over and over, just, you know, to the point where I think if somebody had asked me, I would have said I'll probably never had children, but I hadn't made the actual definitive choice that I was saying no. I just kind of almost let it drift on. And what happened was that I had been with my husband several years by this point, maybe about six or so years. It was my second marriage. We'd had that conversation at the beginning, which was he already had children. He was 10 years older than me. And very early on, you know, he just said, look, you know, I don't think that I want to have any more children. And I said, that's fine. I don't think I want them anyway. Job done. <laughs> That's it. Conversation finished. And that was that, you know, so we kind of carried on and we were some way down the line in terms of our marriage. And absolutely out of the blue, I was 41 at the time. 
as is Holly the character. And, <laughs> and very, very unexpectedly, my husband turned around and it was at a point where you know one of those moments in life Anna where you think I finally got all me you know what together would literally just finish renovating the house oh. uh, I just got my promotion to my big job my director job like literally a few months before and would come through like a challenging period in our marriage and we were like we've come through it stronger together right and I remember thinking great my 40s are just going to be a case of keeping all the plates spinning I'm kind of got everything together now I, I know who I am and I was just at that moment of ah I can finally relax maybe this is when people talk about reaching your 40s this is what the mean is like finally you've kind of got everything sorted and now you just smell the roses a little bit ha ha <laughs> so, that was the context of it and my husband, one evening, it would, and again, ironically, we had thrown a birthday party for my mother's 65th birthday, and she'd also retired from her career. So it was almost like she was stepping down, I was stepping up. So there, yeah. was, there was an interesting, just an interesting moment that happened. And we were lying on the kitchen floor, as happens to the character in the book. Kind of having, you know, this lovely moment of like, yes, <laughs> feeling good. And my husband turned around, looked me in the eyes really tenderly and just like full of love and said, babe, I'd really like us to have a baby. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, there's been a glitch in the matrix. <laughs> and I remember, I think because it was so unexpected and it caught me so off guard. And, I'm, you know, I was really in love with my husband at the time and it pierced me it it kind of just it was like this clean incision that just went straight in and I remember just and it sounds kind of in a way when I look but I think duh <laughs> you know but I, I remember in the moment it hit me so profoundly that I remember thinking whoa hang on a second I've never actually really thought about this properly and I was shocked to acknowledge that to myself and I think then the next thought that and it, this happened, you know, very much in the moment and then it reverberated on and on into the next day. I kind of thought, actually, Jen, <laughs> there's something amiss here because I suddenly thought I'm a very, I would describe myself, I'm a very intentional person. You know, I'm very conscious of in every aspect of my life. And I thought, hmm, so how come then? <laughs> On the most profound choice that really I think you ever make as a woman, do I want to become a biological mother? Do I want to grow a human being? That you're just allowing this to drift past you. And I suddenly realized if you don't engage this question, Jen, the choice is going to be made for you and not by you. And do you know what? That ain't acceptable. And I was suddenly kind of like confronted really powerfully. But and I thought, whoa and then of course I thought wow I really haven't like really really thought about it okay okay and I could see in the moment it you know my husband it was something that as we talked he'd obviously thought a little bit about <laughs> so then basically I woke up the next day and thought okay maybe this feels important actually yes expecting to be quite honest that I would confirm it's a no but I thought at least I've done my due diligence. <laughs> yeah. And I think what I started to recognise was this is a 
uh, way to ensure I don't regret it later because what if I've never really thought about then somehow something happens later in life and I think oh I didn't I never really kind of even gave myself the chance to properly think about it so I thought yes this way I'll have no regrets this is going to be good for me <laughs> so I basically sat down and thought lovely jubbly I'll just write some pros and cons and I'll make my decision and then it'll all be nicely concluded and I can move on with my life <laughs> and that's not what happened at all and I was shocked I was absolutely shocked to my core to realize there was a seed of doubt mm. there was this little splint like in the matrix as it was a splinter in my mind and suddenly I was like hang on this is so important we all need to be on board here like this has got to be a hundred percent and then I fell down what I've described as a kind of existential rabbit hole because I thought hang on a minute what is the doubt why am I having doubt what's going on come on like let's get everything out and then yeah the more that I engage with that and the more that I ask myself some profound questions that come with that the more confused I became and the more I started to realize, and I had never heard the term pronatalism because this is back in 2013 now. And I now recognize with the benefit of hindsight and being better educated that what was going on was there was so much programming and conditioning that I had unconsciously absorbed, but I wasn't aware of it. I just had this feeling of, hang on a minute, how do I know what I really want? Because how do I know I'm not just making a decision to please my husband? How do I know I'm not just making a decision to maybe try and fit in? Because it is hard being the odd one out and the only person who doesn't have children. And it was almost like I started to become conscious that there was this process. The more I dug into the question of trying to seek what is actually my wholehearted choice as opposed to what I think I maybe should want. And it freaked me out because I hadn't expected to find that. And it's only when I look back now, I think, wow, I hadn't ever appreciated. Because I thought, you know, I'm an educated, conscious, generally you know, confident woman. And then I started to shame myself because I thought, what's the matter with you? How can you not know your own mind? And I just went to war with myself in this very private sort of torture chamber <laughs> I became more and more and more stuck and then I started going am I selfish is there something wrong with me what if maybe like what if maybe I've never been ready and maybe I've never felt you know at a good enough place in my marriage and, and then I started going do I want one and I was kind of like what <laughs> and yeah. I just I can remember a conscious feeling of being at war internally with myself and it was horrible and and I think what happens then is you know there's a bit in the book where I talk about maybe baby fm started to play so it literally felt like I would walk into a room I would put the radio on I would open the paper and constantly it was like yes no yes no there was just stuff about children and pregnancy and babies everywhere I went which was just amplifying what was going obviously it was a projection I guess of what was happening to me internally so I felt like this I was being tossed around I could literally change minute to minute yes oh I definitely don't then I'd be like no no I definitely don't want a baby and then you know something would happen an hour later and I'd go maybe I do <laughs> and it was exhausting it was absolutely exhausting and that was kind of the beginning of my 
very long process to to get out of my head and into my heart and my intuition which I don't think that I was really very connected to at the time because I was trying to do everything rationally and of course when you sit down rationally and think about I mean it's impossible really isn't it right very difficult you know and I was like how do you weigh your impact on the environment with you know not being able to read bedtime stories to your child hmm (laughs) how do you weigh those fairly and I just got more and more stuck and then more and more shame in myself and frustrated with myself and that which then just drove me further down into the dark hole wow Um, yeah how long did that rational war (laughs) last (laughs) It was probably about four months, something like that, three or four months. And I look back now, oh, Jen, that's so, oh. I think I would, like, it was almost like I tried to sneak the pose. I go, do it now. Like, this is if, like, I sort of surprised myself. Like, yes. in the moment, something would, like, come in the list that I hadn't thought of before. It was so funny, really, when I think back to it. Um, you know, and I'm very determined, so I kept on and on and on and on. And then, you know, I got to the point where I finally spoke to my only friend, really, at the time, who didn't have kids. And it was so hard to speak to him because I felt so ashamed. But I was like, I'm going to have to say something. We ended up kind of having a conversation this one evening when we met up. And she she was really funny. She was like, Jen, darling, I really don't think you're going to manage to make a decision through pros and cons. I think you might need to get into your feelings I know that's not going to be good easy for you but you're going to have to get past your head and like in your heart in your body and your intuition I was like oh god I knew about Brené Brown's work by this point in my life yeah I remember I had watched the famous TED talk on the power of vulnerability and I remember it really landed with me like so many people and I remember going oh my goodness you know like I get it oh this is like so powerful and there was this moment where I remember talking to my friend, I went, oh, no, oh, God, this is me vulnerability apprenticeship, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I went, so it's got to go from a concept to, oh, no, I've got, she went, yep, you've got to wade into this one of your emotions. <laughs> and I thought, oh, wow. And I think it suddenly landed everything that Brené Brown has said. And I talked and went, oh right now I think I really get it oh mm -hmm. (laughs) right and then like my friend said uh, she was going through an awful divorce at the time and she said to me I've got a suggestion I went right she went I think you might want to try body work therapy and I rolled my eyes and I went, what is that, like naked psychotherapy? I don't know why. I just had this image of being naked in my head. She's like, no, Jen. <laughs> and she described sort of this therapeutic, uh, which is effectively a bit like a massage, a bit like a Reiki type of therapy where you work with your energy body. And she said, it's designed for people like you. And I was like, what do you mean? Uh, she said, highly cognitively defended. <laughs> So I was like, okay, as Brenny would say, now you're just sweet talking me. <laughs> so I was like, do you know what? I'm desperate. So she gave me a card and it happened to be quite near where I live. So I thought, do you know, what's the worst? So that's when I, that was when I started on this other journey of like moving away from 
logic and lists of like, okay, I'm going to clearly have to go into my vulnerability apprenticeship and open up parts of myself. I think, and well, I knew I'd never really opened up before. That was the first thing I did that started to move away from rational, you know, the, the kind of project planning pro- approach, <laughs> which I'd usually used for things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did you, I mean, clearly you had the support, it sounds like, of that body therapy work. Yeah. But how did you make that transition to stop the rational, logical processing and really get into your body? Yeah, it's a great question. All I can describe is in terms of what I experienced. So I went to see this lady who worked in a very intuitive way. So she didn't even say much to me when I arrived and just basically started to mix a, you know, an oil, like an aromatherapy thing. Didn't ask me why I was there or anything like that. And uh, it was part massage. So she she said um, afterwards, and I'd read a little bit on her website and what her philosophy, which I now understand a lot more about, was about mind-body connection, you know, and that we are this whole system, you know, the physical body the emotional body but the energetic body as well which I didn't really know anything about that at the time but I thought you know I'll roll with it and uh, see what happens so in her philosophy was you know that trauma and emotions can get stuck in the body so by moving working with your body you can kind of release things to open things up so I, I remember kind of having the first session was kind of partly like a really intense massage but partly there was times where she was kind of holding her hands like away from my body a bit. This went on for some, I don't know how much, it was an hour or so. And I remember really distinctly, which again, I have talked about in the Holly story. I had like, it was almost like a dream, but I wasn't asleep. Kind of saw this vision a bit like a dream in my head. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Okay. So I thought, right, is this normal? I don't know. So when we're finished, I sat up and we had a cup of tea and she was like, tell me what you experienced. I said, oh, it was really interesting. And I saw this, that and the other. And she went, hmm. And she said, are you somebody who lives in your head a lot? And I sort of laughed, you know, and I went, <laughs> you could say that. I said, why did you ask? And she went, oh, my God. She said, when I came around your head, have you ever seen those like crystal balls with lightning in them? She said it was like that. And she said, I was literally standing having to bring all of my strength just to sort of stay with the energy around your head it was unbelievable I've never actually experienced anything like it Jen and I was like whoa and I suppose now what I perhaps might describe is I guess because we're all pulsing electromagnetic energy just by her holding that it was interacting with you know that part of my energy and then she said and this was the killer she said So when I work with people, Jen, what happens for me is I'm like a channel. And I went, okay. And she went, you might think that sounds like hocus pocus or not, not really bothered. (laughs) She said, and all I can say to you is that what happens for me when I'm working with people is that I sometimes get, um, I get a visual image, kind of gets downloaded as I'm working with somebody's energy body or I hear a phrase or just something quite often will pop up and she said and I just offer it to clients take it or leave it it might make sense now it might not 
And I said, okay. <laughs> she said, so I'd like to ask you a question. And I said, right. She said, do you have children? And I thought, okay, that's a very pertinent question, given that I haven't told her anything still about why I'm there. And I said, no, why do you ask? And she hesitated to look straight at me. She went, because I've worked with a lot of bodies. And the thing that kept coming through me as I worked with your body was, this woman has a real mother's body. And I just went, <clears throat> and then I just burst into tears. And then we had this huge, long conversation. I said, I think I need to tell you why I'm here. So I then told her the whole thing. And then all I can kind of describe is I went back for maybe about five more sessions with her. And I think what started to happen was I felt a physical feeling of my head, you know, literally just calming down. And it was like I I was almost re-embodying. I could feel myself becoming more present in my body, becoming more connected with my body. It was like, oh like a blessed reflex, someone just dialed down all the noise and all the intensity in my mind. And then things, I could feel things were starting to shift and then other odd things kind of started to happen. And I felt like there was this opening happening is the only way. I didn't really know. I thought, is it my heart opening? Something's opening and I can feel something's happening. I don't know exactly how to describe what it is, but I know something's changing and I started to feel less stress it was almost a bit like sometimes what people describe when they do a lot of meditation where you suddenly start to find a stillness and a space opens up it was kind of like that experience so that was the start giving my poor head a break (laughs) and I think that started to have other impacts you know because I'd always been a very analytical person a very rational person you know very I mean I always got told my whole life you think too much by my mom, by people I worked with, because I wanted to analyse and unpack everything, you know, from 360 degree angles and put it all back together again. Um, So this was a really different feeling for me of going, "Mm, okay, I know something's happening here and I don't know exactly how to explain what it is, but it's powerful. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to go with it because what else can I do? And that was kind of the start of how things started shifting, I guess. Wow. I'm just so struck by what she said to you, the download that she got. And did that send, I could see myself in that position. And that would almost be like, I would, if I wasn't trusting myself, maybe take that as confirmation that I should be a mom. If this person is getting that download about me, how did that impact you? And how did you move forward? Right. Yeah, that is exactly what happened because in this is the thing is like I was like oh maybe my truth is emerging yeah, right. <laughs> maybe I am meant to be a mother I was absolutely you know stopped in my tracks by it and then a couple of really curious things happened I remembered something that had happened to me years before that I'd completely forgotten and again this is in the book as well and it was one of those really random things you go that was peculiar and then you just sort of forget about it and suddenly you start going back thinking, oh, was it a sign? And I'd yeah. been having lunch in the city centre one day, years before, apropos of nothing, this woman walked past who looked like she could be maybe a homeless, I don't know. She just looked like she'd stepped out of, you know, some kind of witchy story. And she sat down 
And I thought, oh, here we go. She's going to ask for money or something. She didn't. So she just sat next to me for like a few minutes and she was just putting her face up to the sun. Because I remember waiting, here we go. She's going to ask for something. And I was like, oh, that was odd. So she didn't. She just sort of allowed this sun on her face for a few minutes. And then she stood up and she started to walk away from this bench. And then she stopped. She turned around. She came back towards me. She just looked at me and she said, one day you're going to have I can't remember if she said a son or a daughter. I think she said, one day you're going to have a son. And I just went, and at the time I went, yeah, like some random person. She just likes to go and like mess with people's minds, you know. And I thought that was a strange thing to say. And I just completely dismissed it after thinking, you know, it was just a weird incident. And like you say, Anna, I was like, what if, (laughs) what if there's this part of me that I've never accessed before? What if? a bit like Brené that you know because I've never allowed myself to be really vulnerable what if there's this soft part that's been waiting to be opened and connected with and like I really do want to be with it and I'm like oh what (laughs) and then and then I had another strange experience which was I was driving I can't remember which session it was after but it was quite soon in going to see this lady and I was driving to work one day and I was obviously watching the road and I was just thinking about what I was going to do when I got to work. And it was like I felt a presence, almost like there was a presence operating next to me on the seat. I could feel sort of like a weird tingling in the passenger seat. And I remember thinking, I'm, well, I can't look anyway because I've got to concentrate on driving. I remember having a feeling like I wanted to look. So I was kind of looking out of my peripheral vision thinking, what is going on? And as I sort of started to think this, I feel like something's, there's something like electrical, almost like, you know, a bit like something like Harry Potter, where they go (laughs) and something's coming through a portal. It was kind of that feeling. I was like, what on earth is going on? And then I remember as I was sort of asking the question, I saw it was like I was watching a movie of me in the car with a boy and it felt like a child, like a son. And then I'm remembering the gypsy thing and I thought, oh, maybe I am meant to be a mother. So I was thinking, is this like some kind of manifestation of a, of my son? So I was like, what on earth is happening? And as you say, I think then I started to tip a bit towards what if? There's this buried desire that I've never even acknowledged that's now opening up, which is under all these layers of things that actually I do want to be a mother. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> I wouldn't say I then made a decision one way or another, but I thought, okay, this might just be a very metaphorical thing and all this might be, Jen. So I was trying to kind of not get too carried away. So I thought... Maybe all this is, is it's a, it's a really brilliant um, validation of the fact that you're accessing this other part of you that you haven't accessed before and you're at least opening yourself to possibility and you're kind of almost energetically trying it on for size. So that's okay. So I kind of rationalise it. Like, okay, you don't have to jump to the conclusion that it means now you have to try and get pregnant. We can just sit with the idea that you're genuinely engaging in a process that's open and something new and it's allowing these deeper feelings and these explorations to just have some space to 
really be engaged with. So I thought, oh, I was like, okay, okay, uh, okay. <laughs> oh wow, run with that. Yeah, so that 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 was where I got to for a while, and then at the end of that, so she sort of got to a point where I think we'd had about six sessions, and I remember feeling like a lot calmer by the end, and I was kind of like now what again it was like everything I did it led to something else and led to something else and she said to me I'd like to make a suggestion that you go for some psychotherapy I went okay don't think I'd had psychotherapy before and she said I've, I've been seeing a guy he's amazing he's like right at the end of his career being around the block kind of guy in his 60s he gave me a business card and I thought yeah. okay <laughs> so I then went to have psychotherapy I think I had about six sessions with him yeah and then I got to a point where I thought it was weird I never got to the point I would say at the end of that I still sort of felt like I hadn't broken through to go a yes or a no I think what had happened was through all of that process which is now about nine months by this point I definitely had opened up parts of myself that I didn't, and I think I was starting to become in communion with my intuition after a long time of not being connected. And I remember saying to my husband, in the new year, because this was about Christmas, I think I finished the psychotherapy, I'm going to come off the pill. And he went, are you? And he was like, oh my God, do you want to have a bit? And I was like, no, I, I know that sounds weird. And I said, it's, I don't feel like I'm saying that I definitely want to get pregnant. All I know is that I'm starting to connect with my intuition and the only thing I've got, the only clue for, for what to do next is I'm getting this feeling that I'm supposed to come off the pill. So it was a subtly different thing. And he was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I came off the pill. Bear in mind, I'm 42. I've been on the pill since I was 17. Oh, wow. Never yeah. had a scare or anything in my life. I got pregnant really quickly, much to my shock. <laughs> To my oh. absolute shock. Um, and then I had a miscarriage after 10 weeks. And, you know, my husband was, like, excited. And I remember all the way through it, though, I was like, there's something just a bit off. It was like I was watching myself performing something that I wasn't totally in. It was really hot, odd experience. Anyway, so that kind of all played out. And I remember we had the conversation, oh, you know, so my husband's like, well, at least we know you can get pregnant. And, and I was like, mm-hmm. And he was like, we'll try again. I was going, mm-hmm. But somehow I, it wasn't like a wholehearted. I, I was like, there's something not right here, but I couldn't kind of work out what it was. There was a bit of time elapsed after the miscarriage. And then one day um, I was in the bathroom and I'd washed my hands after, uh, and I was about to leave the bathroom apropos of not a single thought in my head about anything other than just walking out the door and it was like my body started to act independent of any instruction that I was aware that I had given it from my brain instead of going out the door it was like I saw myself moving and I was like what am I doing (laughs) yeah what's going on as if someone had like taken over my body and I was just sort of the observer And I watched and it felt really in slow motion. And I sort of watched in my hand, went on the bathroom cabinet door, almost ripped the door off with such incredible force, scrabbled to the back of the shelf, found my contraceptive pill, 
virtue threw it down my throat and I went boom like a comedy gulp like a cartoon and I stood there and I went now that was a decision and I stood with this tingle all around me or just everything pulsing in the moment and it was almost like I could feel every cell in my body went hell no oh my gosh like literally it was so powerful and I just stood on the spot with my mouth hanging up as my brain tried to catch up with what happened and then I, and as it sort of came almost like my brain came online I heard in my head motherhood is not my path and then I heard it again motherhood is not my path and I went okay and then I went now what (laughs) okay and that was then well that's where part one of the book ends and then Holly I suppose goes on a different journey to me in the sense that different things happened to her than what happened to me because mine was a lot longer than Holly's and I thought it'd be too convoluted to do that but you know that was the start of like a journey of searching for okay I know without a shadow of a doubt that was my absolutely wholehearted choice almost literally I've pulled the door and mother off and slammed it shut wow right okay so now what does a meaningful life look like without children and then that became the question that fueled a whole seven-year journey that ultimately resulted in writing the book, although it's a bit of a different journey for Holly, but she kind of arrives at the same point I did, but just through different things that happened to her. And I think the thing that I remember as well was, I remember at the time, I did go through a phase, actually, I forgot one thing that I did as well when I was still in my logic brain. I interviewed somebody. (laughs) So I found a woman through a friend of mine who had the same personality type as me. and had always been ambivalent. She was the same age as me, but she'd had a baby. Oh. I wonder what has happened. Maybe I might get a clue. So this was before, actually, I did body without. So it was almost like the last rational thing I did. And I went to kind of interview her, which I suppose you might think is a bit weird, which I did. And and I thought at least it's so nice to have a conversation with somebody. And she was, she didn't sugarcoat anything. She was quite brutally honest about what had happened for her and everything. And she gave me a book to read called Maybe Baby, which is, and I thought again, oh, is it a sign? Is it a sign? And then I started reading and I thought, oh, of course, I never even thought to read books to. So I started reading some books and reading some blogs at the time. But I remember at the time thinking, where's the shame shit story? (laughs) I want one woman's really deep, dark, raw story of like wrangling really hard with this. Like, where is that story? I need it. Please give me it. I kept looking for something like that. And I, I found more sort of factual accounts and interviews with women, but not not like a sort of deep story. So I think it was only when Wild Egg sort of downloaded and I started writing, I thought, oh, wow, kind of writing the story that I wanted to read all those years ago that I couldn't find. Oh, wow. That's Um, incredible. So that was a lovely feeling, um, you know, because I hadn't intended at all to write this. I wasn't writing this book at all. Yeah, it's like an entirely different book. 
So listeners, we are going to do a two-part series. So come back for Jennifer and I talking about her book, Wild Egg. Hey, don't go yet. I have something really exciting to share with you. I created a community for child-free people. That's right, a place for us all to hang out, get to know each other, and become friends. So if you could use some more child-free friends in your life, please come hang out with us. It's like we have our own private social media network. Inside the club, we have weekly virtual meetups via Zoom. We have a community feed with ongoing posts and discussions so we can continue our friendship outside of our virtual meetups. And down the road, we're going to have in-person meetups and take these relationships offline and in-person. So if you want in, head to wnk-club.com. That's wnk as in we're not kidding, dash C-L-U-B dot com. I can't wait to see you in the club.